The Pellicle Podcast is supported by our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to support our website, podcast and magazine, please visit patreon.com forward slash pellicalemag. Hello, I'm Matthew Curtis, and welcome to the Pellicle Podcast. Pellicle is a magazine devoted to exploring the worlds of beer, wine, cider, food and travel, and the joy we find within these cultures. In our show, we like to dig into the stories of the people, products and places that make the food and drink we love so vital. Our aim is to bring you folks closer to these cultures through our shared enthusiasm, all while hopefully bringing these worlds closer together in the process. Today's show is part of a series of panel talks recorded at 2019's Fine Fest, the annual festival held by Fine Ales at the home of their brewery and family farm in Cairndow, Scotland. Fine Ales have been huge friends and supporters of Pellicle since day one, and it was a privilege to be invited to host these talks. We were gutted not to be able to return to the Glen in 2020 due to the pandemic, but are already relishing returning in 2021 with gusto. Time. It makes fools of us all. When listening back to this episode, I couldn't decide whether to publish or not, as so much has changed over the last 12 months. However, I feel this episode is still relevant and worthwhile perhaps serving as a marker of how we felt about independence in beer in 2019. Feelings that have likely intensified significantly over the past few months. Independence is hugely important to me, but getting to the bottom of why it's so important is challenging. On this panel, I'm joined by Eddie Lofthouse, founder of Harbour Brewing in Cornwall, Matt Clark, who at the time of this recording was the head brewer at Hawkshead Brewery in Cumbria, and Kevin Brooks, who at the time was working for US importer Shelton Brothers, but has recently left to set up his own company, Oast House Creative. The reason I was so reticent about publishing isn't just because during this panel I don't really manage to gather enough evidence to make a case for independence, but since then, Matt Clark has been made redundant, along with 14 other staff at Hawkshead, as its owner, Halewood Wines and Spirits, who acquired the brewery in March 2017, covered its losses during the financial difficulties created by the pandemic. For me, this signified how important independence is and what it means, control, or the lack of. In making those redundancies, I feel the heart and soul, its people, has been torn out of Hawkshead Brewery. This episode is also evidence of how fast the beer industry moves. To my panellists, if you're listening, thank you so much for being on this episode. And if your opinions have changed since its recording, please drop me a line, as I'd love to get you back on the show to talk about it. I hope you enjoy this one, folks. And just a reminder that this was recorded at a festival, so there's a little background noise. But hopefully it's not too intrusive. Now it's time to sit back, relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Pellicle Podcast. Good 
Good morning, everyone. How's everyone feeling today? You all look very well. I am also very well. <clears throat> um, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, this, this afternoon. Uh, it is now the afternoon. Uh, in the top barn, my name is Matt Curtis. I'm uh, the co-founder and one of the editors at Pellicle Magazine, a new magazine which launched on the 1st of May, which uh, looks at the world of beer. Um, that's our main focus, but we're also very interested in things like low-intervention cider, natural wine, and, and uh, the delicious food and, and travel that comes along with, with those lovely things. And uh, we asked uh, if we could host uh, this year's uh, Meet the Brewer panels, um, at uh, Fine, so thanks to, to Jamie and to Ian at Fine uh, Ales for letting us do this. And thank you for coming to this talk, which is about independence. Um, and I'm, I'm joined today by Matt Clark from Hawkshead and Eddie Lofthouse uh, from Harbour Brewing in Cornwall. And we will also be joined soon by uh, Kevin Brooks uh, from Shelton Brothers, uh, which is uh, an American company that imports uh, British beer. Uh, into the US and brings American beer uh, over here uh, to the UK when there's some fantastic beers they've got over at the American bar in the Brewers Lounge. Uh, you should definitely go and uh, spend some tokens on. Um, today we're going to talk about a real burning topic. Uh, it's always a burning topic in the beer industry. It's about independence um, and the value of, of being uh, an independent business or, or not in the brewing industry. Um, we've seen a lot of companies come in and, and buy breweries. Um, recently we've seen Lion buy Four Pure and Magic Rock. We saw uh, Heineken take a 49% in, in Beavertown and Brixton Brewery. Uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev, the largest uh, brewer in the world uh, in 2015, they bought Camden Town Brewery. And we also saw Asahi buy Fuller's, um, which was a, a huge deal, um, seeing one of London's oldest brewers uh, cease to become an independent London brewer. Um, and the dangers here is that there could be is that it creates a non-competitive marketplace. And the great thing about craft beer is how vibrant and competitive it is. And independence is at the heart of what beer is for a lot of us, myself included. Um, and I also, I'm also aware that, that business is business and this is an industry. And that there will always be acquisition and consolidation. Um, and what I want to talk to, about today is rather than really uh, give grillings, is more think proactively about how... Um, we can maybe uh, approach it in a mature way and, uh, and avoid uh, the anti-competitive practices uh, but still re remain focused on what independent brewers or what brewers are doing rather than losing sight of, of that because you're maybe too focused on, on the battle between independent and, and multinational. Or maybe the answer will be we should be that focused. Let's find out. Um, I'm just going to get my questions here. Very prepared. Try the cider. It's really good. I've tried it all for you. Um, and I can recommend all of it, if there's any left. So, Eddie, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you own an independent brewery. What's the value of that independence? Is, is that being independent, is it important to you? Does it add value to what you do as a business? No. <laughs> That's the end. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is the, the only important thing is control. So whether that's through independence or not, as long as you're in control of your own business, so whether you're part, partnered with another business or whatever, there are independent breweries out there who are so constrained by their investors that 
you know, actually running the business it depends on the control. So whether it's through private equity companies, whether it's through shareholders, individual shareholders, or whether it's through a, a large multinational brewery, I think fr from a brewer's perspective or someone running a brewery, it's all about control and how much say the other shareholders that you're working with have, have in that business. Mm. And can you understand why uh, independence is so important to some breweries? Can you, can you empathise that and see their point of view? It, for me, I understand why people use the word independence, but it, what they, in my view, what they really mean is control over their own business. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I totally get why it's important, and I think it's hugely important to have control over your own business. Who those other shareholders are and what controls they have on your business, whether that, as I say, whether it's a big company, big brewery, another company, private equity firm, if they're, if they're telling you to go in a direction that you didn't want set off on, and let's use an example of a brewery that set out to make one style of beer and shareholders are forcing them into making another type of beer because there's a bigger market there, then that's a pretty sad way of, of running your business. So for me, it's, it's about control and, and people use the word independence and I think by that they really mean they're in control of their own business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so w with independence, what, when do you stop becoming independent as well? What's the line at that, you know, the definition of the term nowadays that, that is true we, we don't ha in the u.s the the brewers association has a, a they, they call it a craft brewer but that is how they define independence uh which means small um which is less than six million barrels a year <laughs> um uh, but less than um 25 percent of your company uh must be not owned by a company by another company within the brewing industry um although it's only it's only within brewers so like like investors can own way more than 25%. But so where would that leave it's, someone it's like... A, it's a grey area. Well, Bath, Bath Ales and St Austell. So we would still say that St Austell is an independent brewery, but they own another quite big brewery. So at which point does one of those two fail to be independent? That's a very good point, and I, I spoke to them about that, and um, they, they now consider... Bath Ales is a brand within St Austell rather than its own brewery. So in their thinking... Bath Ales is independent because it's just another arm of St. Austell. But it's very... It's, but it is another it's brewery. I mean, they bought another brewery. <laughs> exactly. And they're just trying to get around saying that it's not independent anymore. Is, is, do you think that's a, a, a problem? Is it setting a worrying precedent if they buy another brewery then say, but we're independent? No. What value do you put on independence? Indeed. Do you, do you worry that independence is too often used as a byword for quality? What's the danger in that? Hmm. I... I well, I don't know. I think that big beer and quality don't always go together, I think, mm -hmm. is the concern. Um, and that, you know, is, you could argue that one way or another. But I think people often perceive that the larger company is more interested in money and therefore it's about squeezing down, you know, ma maximising margins at the, you know, um, at the sort of the beer's... It's, it's, it, when the brewery, for me, independence is when the brewery starts being run by the brewers and starts being running, run by the accountants. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, you know, it's, it's less about the, the product, it's more about margin and profit yeah. mm. uh, and, and reducing costs. That's, that's, that's a danger to me. And when, the way that affects the consumer for me, and you may or may not agree, is that starts to uh, manipulate the market because not only are they trying to make beer for less, they're then trying to sell it for less. Mm -hmm. And that's, then you begin the race to the bottom, which I yeah. think is one of the biggest dangers in, in beer at the moment is, is when we're trying to sell a product that is, it, this is almost another debate entirely, but independence is, is at the heart of a lot of it for me, is that um, we've spent the last decade building up 
craft beer, or whatever you want to call it, as this inherently valuable product. And now there's a lot more of it. There is, uh, there is a tendency to see more discounting. And a lot of that will come from the non-independent breweries because they have that resource. What's, what's the problem there? If, do you see a problem there? Yeah, I mean, it's driving down cost and small breweries, or certainly you know, small and medium-sized breweries. I don't think you know, medium-sized breweries are getting the economies of scale people often think they are. Mm. Um, you know, the driving down prices, customer expectation of prices therefore change, um, and it stops you being able to brew the beers you may want to because you can't sell them because no one's willing to pay the prices anymore. So mm, mm. it's a sort of self-perpetuating problem once prices drop. Yeah, it is. It's... Um See, we're, from our stance, where we've come, you know, we were brought out two years ago. We were brought by an independent. Ha yeah, Halewood Wines and Spirits, yes. which is known for Stoneses and uh, the... the, the, uh, the Just get it out of the way, Lambrini, Lambrini. Crabbies, <laughs> all of those yeah. ones. It's the one um, we all wanted to talk about. But, you know, they're, they're the largest independent, family-owned drinks producer and distributor in the UK, which... Until they brought us, so I'd never heard of them. <laughs> it was, um, but so our independence in that, because we're owned by another family now. We How have things changed for you at the brewery since 2017? I mean, you've got a lovely big new yes, German brew house. The investment, everything that was promised throughout the sales come through. It's been very good. Um, I was sat in the initial talkings when the sale was about to be going through and we had the CEO of the company there and he went, well, what concerns you the most? I said, accountancy brewing, you know, accountants getting... To which he replied, I'm an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a perfect icebreaker in that. And effectively, all he was concerned about was nothing changing, nothing changing in the quality or whatever, the way we could look at things from a pricing perspective is, is with them being the bigger company, is there any way we could buy ingredients as a group more so to help us out like that? But I think where we've benefited more, inheriting a bigger company as well, is, is being able to share resources like the joys of having an HR department and an IT department and, and smaller things like that. Well, welcome, Kevin. Good morning. Good afternoon. Have a seat. Kevin Morning, Matt. Kevin. I'd like to say I was asleep, but I wasn't. You're drinking Bloody Marys <laughs> You're as right well. with the Bloody Mary. That, that's, that's a pro move. <laughs> so I think the, one of the hardest things been through the whole, nothing's changed, there's never been any pressure on from the changing recipes, want to drive down the price like this. It's been great. I've been, I was told to carry on. We've got the small kit. You do whatever you want on that and carry on. I think the, the hardest part is, you know, some people are like, oh, well, you know, it's good, it's not big beer and all that. But, and the same thing is, they're a massive spirits producer, their gin portfolio, Whitley Neils and all that. So they're really good at producing a lot of spirits. You know how stable spirits are, ship them everywhere. They don't have a clue about beer. So it's almost like starting again in the education on a daily basis. They have a strong sales force don't have a clue, almost scared to talk about beer because they just don't get it. You know, and all of a sudden someone rolls in with a, oh, there's a Mexican importer that wants lager. Can he have four years shelf life on it? And can we send it? It's just like, mm. yeah. start again. So the hardest thing really in that, and it's still ongoing now, is the education basis on, on mm. beer and, you know, that. But 
And how is that relationship developing? Are they very open to and, and listening generally? Yeah, if anything, they get rather too excited and, and st still look at us on a bigger scale than what we are. They're like, yeah, well, now we can produce. And it's like, no. So it's, it's like managing our expectations through there and, and, and really when you've got you know, a bigger company behind you like that, there is the risk of someone within all the work you've put into the, the brand, the bears over the years, who could devalue that in minutes. You know, you could walk in all of a sudden and someone's flogged the range of your stuff to B&M bargains or something like that, all of a, without thinking of the consequences to come with it. So it's, you know, it's a tough one to keep on and manage that because, you know, we're, it's why they invested in us because we were healthy, profitable, doing well, yeah. good size. And yeah, certain things have helped, but the education and beer is still ongoing. Yeah. Kevin, welcome. Um, good morning, good afternoon. I'm going to keep making that mistake all day, I think. Um, you work with a lot of breweries in both the, the US and the UK. You've brought some US breweries over here, and you bring a lot of uh, small independent uh, UK breweries, their beer, over to the US. So what's the value of independence to a company like Shelton Brothers? Is it something you consider when you're making your, your purchasing decisions? Well, you know, with, um, with, when it comes to independence, with, we, my company brings in mostly small, very small breweries. And we've, pref we've preferred to go with the smaller breweries and the independents over the recent years because you're just dealing, you know, with the individual. When you're working with a company that's no longer independent, you have to deal with a, 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 an actual industrial producer, usually. And there's more demands on how much you are and aren't selling. Um, and when you're dealing with imports into the United States, we have 7,500 breweries in the country. So... Your most European brewers are an unknown commodity. So the demands that, you know, we want 20 pallets moved a month isn't a realistic number, but that's what the, some of the larger corporations think that they can move. Um, on the bright side, the, the larger corporations generally can, can get their price point down, which is something that the Americans, when it comes to a European beer or, or anywhere outside of the country, they are looking at. Um, do you, there's um, a lot more breweries in the US uh, than there are in, in the UK, 7,000, and it's uh, to our 2,500. Um, and that it seems like three times more, but in terms of capacity, there's also a lot more, there's Correct. significantly more capacity. Uh, so, uh, but in, independence, as a result, has become a really important selling point, as I see it, for so many uh, breweries that you have the, the, the independent seal that the Brewers Association question that you missed while, while you were away was, is, is uh, independence too often used as a byword for quality, and, and what's the danger in that? Do you see that happening in the U.S.? There's definitely a danger. Um, he was speaking of uh, this independent logo that the Brewers Association has started putting on uh, all their bottles, and that only started, I think, last year. It, uh, 2016, uh, I think they maybe released? No, 2017 I'm they released flying. it. Anyway, um, yeah. you know, so at the moment that hasn't truly caught on, but there are a bunch of... Uh, in, when, I, when I'm talking, at least in this case, of independent brewers versus, you know, partially or fully owned breweries, um, generally I'm not going to be, I'll be discussing if somebody's owned by Anheuser-Busch or Coors, um, that's a different game in the United States. Um, 
when, when one of the big, big companies buys it, these companies also have major uh, stakes and I guess in distribution. Um, for those who don't know, in the United States, a brewer cannot sell directly to his customer um, unless they've got a, if they're in a state where they're allowed to sell direct only locally. So in the United States, the brewer makes the beer, it has to go a wholesaler in New York, New Jersey, California, wherever, or in some states, multiple for areas. So um, basically that does mark up the beer quite a bit. If it's an import, it has to go to the importer, then to the wholesaler in the state. Um, but Budweiser and, um, and Coors, they actually don't outright own distribution companies, but they have a stranglehold on them. So they're kind of using that power and forcing out the little guys. Um, so when they bought Wicked Weed, that was actually, a lot of people got upset because that was kind of like the feather in their cap. All of a sudden they had, they had their mass produced beers, the buds, the bushes, the whatever. Um, then they had, um, I'm trying to think of which one. <laughs> you know, they had mainstream craft beer and then they brought in the sour beer. So they could basically walk into a bar or a store and be like, we have it all. You don't have to go outside. You know, and that one. Someone like Golden Road would be that mainstream, yeah. like Golden, Golden Ale. Road, yeah. uh, Goose Island. Um, you know, they they each have them, and, and in some cases, uh, Blue Moon is a great example where they pretend it's independent. If you, I asked the average beer drinker, they half of them would probably say that beer is made in Belgium when it's made in um, it's made in outside of Denver um, at the giant Coors factory. Um, so they kind of play hard and fast. Um, you know, so it is a, little bit, is a little bit different. We don't have the tax implications that, um, you know, if you are a small brewer and then you get too big here, you get taxed differently. We don't have that. So they actually do encourage you to become medium-sized and then large-sized. So you don't, you don't have to be, you're not kind of forced into the grow or get, eat, get taken up by a larger mm -hmm. company. Um, um, we, as well as the Brewers Association in America, we have a trade body in the UK, but it doesn't have quite as many members. It's called SEBA, uh, the Society of Independent Brewers. Uh, and, uh, the only, are, you a, are you a member, Eddie? Uh, we are, yeah. And what's what's uh, the benefits of being a member of the association for Honestly, you? Honestly, no idea. <laughs> Just what we've historically done from when we started, we were like, oh, we should join that trade body. I mean, we into the... What's that? Yeah, absolutely. I've never had those, but we might. That might be the Save benefit. Save relevance is. I mean, they are supposed to be a lobbying body, and I think yes, we need yeah. a body to lobby on our behalf. But I think one of the problems in the UK market is that the number of their members are super small, and they're trying to represent them equally. They're trying to represent the medium size and the larger independents, and and that's a really difficult thing to do. So, who are they there to represent? The the super small guy who's fighting against let's say the duty relief changes or whatever, equally the big guys are going, well, actually, we want that. And how do you represent, are you doing it on numbers? Are you doing it on hectolitres produced? You know, what, what, who are they supposed to be representing? Um, I think the, the biggest issue for me isn't, it's, it's actually controlled, unlike in the States, you can't control all three sort of tiers. Um, well, you can in the UK. So you can be a brewer, you can have a distribution company yourself, and you can uh, then own all the pubs. That you know, Cornwall's a great example of that, and St. Austin, I actually love, so I'm just using them as a good example, but they make loads of beer, they distribute their own beer and other people's beer, and they also own, I'd say, at least 80% of the pubs. Mm. So the market in Cornwall is totally controlled. Now, they're independent, but they're totally controlling the market, and I think one of the fears around, and people use independence as this thing where it's about making sure that there's access to market. Mm. Well, 
there's an independent brewery entirely controlling one area of the market. And they won't sell Cornish beer, but they would sell, uh, let's say, Beavertown because they have a trade deal with Heineken. So although they wouldn't sell a small independent Cornish brewer who you might go, well, that's supporting the local economy, they, they don't. They see us as a com- competitor in Cornwall and therefore would not sell our product. But we'll sell someone like Beavertown's because it allows them access to better prices on Heineken, etc., etc. So... You know, that for me is a big area of concern and what no one really talks about is that you know you can control the market as an independent, never mind just these big multinationals. Yeah, This is what I was allu- alluding to at the start uh, about anti-competitive practices. St. Austell is, is, is a good example for Cornwall, but uh, perhaps one of the biggest examples for me is the star pubs chain. So Heineken own three and a half thousand pubs. Um, that would be illegal in the US, um, uh, but it's not in the UK. Um, and now they have a, a portfolio where they can walk into, if any of their, their licensees want to stock, uh, you know, modern IPA, they're like, well, don't go to the independents. We've got Lagunitas, Beavertown and Brixton. You don't need to do that. I know one London brewer that was delisted from all three and a half thousand pubs because they were the best selling beer in their local pub that was a star pub. Uh, and uh, but, but so they got kicked out so that Heineken could have that line back but then they weren't allowed to sell to any more of these pubs so that's, that's the danger of um, this, this is less about independence this is more about anti-competitive practices no, that's a massive issue in the industry yeah. I think it's, and it's happening more and more and um, equally it's just using the strengths they have so you know, there's nothing wrong unless it becomes illegal there's no, they're not doing anything wrong mm. they're just using the strengths they have which is they've got cash flow e- you know, equally a tiny brewer might say, well, you did that install in there, of which we now control the taps on, so you're stopping us, but you know, we're doing it on a tiny scale. But it's no different. If they couldn't afford to do what we did, and, and therefore you know, it is just about scale and, and, and access to market is how do you control that? Because it is a free market, and if they, they've got the power to do what they, they want to do. SIBA have an independent seal. Do you think that would help you? No. No. Not at all. <laughs> I just don't see the relevance of it. I don't. Why is it so ir- irrelevant to the market? Is, is it just do consumers not? Are they it, not interested? I don't think that. I mean, my personal view is, if you asked, let's take Beavertown as an example. I don't even know if they're independent. I think they say yeah, they are. Well, but that's a... um, But you know, is Beavertown an independent brewery? It's owned forty-nine percent, so the major shareholder is still one individual. But they are being distributed through Heineken. Mm-hmm. They are being able to access accounts that they wouldn't have been able to access previously. Um, does the consumer care? I mean, it's good, good beer at a good price all over the country. It, the consumer's getting access generally to a better quality product than they potentially previously were doing it in the Heineken pubs. So is it right? Is it wrong? I don't know. One argument for, for buyouts being a positive thing is seeing a beer like, for example, Gamma Ray uh, become more prevalent, and then that will convert people to good beer I used to think that and I'm actually I, I don't agree with that anymore I don't, I don't see people going I don't see people buying Punk IPA in Tesco and then drinking it and going do you know what I'm going to seek out my independent bottle shop they just go back to Tesco and buy more Punk IPA yeah. um, but do you and I can open this up to, to you as well Matt is um, uh, I'm trying to phrase this question in, in a good way um, do you think that the independents should be working to Talk more about uh, who owns what, and has let's use your brewery as an example. Has the perception uh, of your brewery changed either from a, from within the industry or with customers? No, I, I think we're yeah relatively 
when the sale went through and everything, it went quite well. I think basically, because it wasn't Big Bear or anything, the major thing I got was just loads of Lambrini jokes and um, barrel-aged Lambrini and stuff like that, mainly from that lot at the back when of the room, see, really. But, um, when, when are we going to see barrel-aged Lambrini? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's never been on draft before in the country. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was shocked myself. Breaking, <laughs> isn't it? Let's just talk about Lambrini. Um, but, no, we've... We've seen no no sort of change in it because, in a sense, we've we've tried to keep our independence within the company. That's one of our. We still have our same sales force, which is you know not massive, two or three in sale. We still have the same structure of what we had. The main thing is we have support in areas where before you know. IT problem, we'll go down to Argos and get a new keyboard or something. We've got IT support and bits and bobs like that, which actually help and things like that. But with the consumer, no one was really bothered. And to be quite honest, you know, we're, we're a brewery that, you know, we, we've been going since 2002. Um, we've had very organic growth. We've just grew year on year, 5 10% sort of thing. We've never been aggressive in any nature or this and that. So we pretty much, yeah, we rolled through quite happily. And, you know, on a brand level within certain groups, Hawksid's really well known for its cask and all other beers and that. But there are still a lot of people out there within the craft who still don't know who um, Hawksid are. Mm. You know, we've sat around for load of American brewers like Wayne Wambles and all of that and they were they were talking who makes some of the best UK cask beer and quite a lot of American brewers there were like Hawkshead and someone piped up and went yeah and if you ask a beer geek in the UK who Hawkshead is they'll probably go I don't know mm. so, I don't, so. you, but you've done stuff like uh, Key Lime Tower with, oh, yeah, with Crooked Stave which, is, which certainly gave you a lot of visibility yeah it did that yeah no end it, it built a good relationship with that brewery as well mm. and um you know, it's, it's, we still, it's probably one of the longest collab brews to stay in production where it must be in the sixth year is still doing towels. So it's, um, yeah, things like that. But no, we've, we've, you know, brewed with Cigar City this year out there and, you know. But it is one of the problems with the industry or the way the industry is perceived is that good quality beer that isn't, you know, Fear of missing out beer is not super hypey beer, mm. isn't talked up at all. Mm. It, you know, and it encourages people to go down, you know, not refining their product. It takes more than one or two brews to get a brew right. Mm. And we're all totally massively encouraged to, you know, what's, what's next? What's next? Can you put more hops in that? You know, the, the brewing sort of media, people like yourself, sort of talk much more often about the big barrel aged beers that, than, than the great cast beers that have taken years to, to, to sort of. Uh, the finesse that goes into them and then you know polish them mm. to get them as a great product don't really ever get any coverage you say that I just wrote an article about tribute wonderful <laughs> so, that's yeah. not helping you either <laughs> no, not at all that's terrible <laughs> for my business but um, <laughs> but yeah they, but that should be talked about because as you know Roger brewed that was it 99 he brewed it yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's taken him years to get it right and they were be very honest St Austin brewed before that beer were absolutely shit 
Um, and, and Roger's totally changed, sorry for my language. If it's That's any fine. That's right. Um, we can take that out of context now and just put that you called them hey, shit. Exactly. In general. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and the products now are great. You know, the Corev's reasonable. Um, and, you know, but they have refined their products through years of, of, of rebrewing them. And, and the way the, the consumer is encouraged to buy, to collect badges on untapped, you know, that's encouraging people to go from one thing to another and actually doesn't allow the brewer then to refine the product that they're trying to make. Mm. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift the subject back to independence and over, over to Kev <laughs> Kevin. Um, because um, I feel like independence is seen... There's a lot more vocal consumers in the US. Maybe it's because the, 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 the brewing industry there is, is so much larger. So do you think it's important that customers have an, an informed choice that they know what they're drinking should be independent or if it's owned by... Bush, I, I mean, I actually think you should know, you know, who's brewing it, you know, mm -hmm. and... Why know, do you think that? To, you just should know where it's coming from. I mean, that being said, you know, what Matt was saying, you know, the consumer has an incredibly short attention span, and when Wicked Weed got bought, they were all up in arms, you know, Wicked Weed's bought, it's the end of the world, we're never buying it again. These same asshats were then waiting in line for uh, <laughs> Bourbon County Stout two weeks later, which is, you know, owned by an industrial brewer. So it... Yeah, it's they don't quite say it's, it's you know, I think it matters. Um, mm -hmm. I think you should always know what who makes who makes your beer and what's in your beer, which you don't actually have to tell people in the United States what's in the beer. Can I just see a show of hands at like who in the audience would like to know who owns and makes their beer and whether it's independence important? If independence is important, can you put your hand up? It's good. It's about, it's about two thirds of the room, so it, it matters to people. I mean, and we're at a beer festival, so you you, you are informed drinkers. Um, I wonder if it was people who were not at a beer festival whether that would be uh, important to them or not. Um, I'm going to ask one more question. To, Sorry, to the, can I ask anyone why it's important? What what is it? Why is it important for you? Would anyone like to tell to, to say I'm why interested. why independence is important to them? I'll come come out with the microphone. Any any volunteer? That hairy man with the bounce. And then you can <laughs> then you can define craft when you're finished. Oh, right. No, no, no. <laughs> I think it's just like what you were saying about um, the quality of it. Um, and for example, we take Beavertown. Um, so when when they sold to Heineken, for me, it's it's about not giving Heineken money. Um, I love Gamery, I love Beavertown, but I just I, I just couldn't buy anymore because I'm giving money to Heineken and. I just wondered, is there any instances where like, beer's been bought by big beer and it's, the quality has ever stayed the same? Like, at, at one point, there must be margins, and eventually, even not in the first year, but eventually the... I, uh, it's quite... As beer moves on so fast and people's palates change and that, as much as of certain things of the brewery being... Take Gamma Ray, you know, IPAs have moved on in this country, whatever, since and that... I think your perception of what you tried earlier on and with the ever-changing bigger flavours and that, you're probably more likely to go back to it straight after the buy and go, yeah, no, that's not where it was. When actually, is that a lot down to yourself, your palate, um, things moving on like that? I have that on a daily basis with a load of our core beers. It's, you know, things change and it... So... It's, it's really interesting to me to think of... Uh... Gamma Ray is a big corporate beer, and it is, you know, 49% owned by Heineken, but then BrewDog still produce at least three times more punk 
IPA than, than Beaver Town do Gamma Ray. At the moment. At, at until the they mo- get a mega brewery with, you know, fun yeah. fairs and all the rest yeah, of it. Indeed. It, well, that's true. That's very true. That will be, be very comparable by then. But my, my last question before I uh, open it up to you guys um, is what should the industry be doing, if anything, uh, to to work against anti-competitive practices. Do you think there needs to be, I mean, Eddie, you spoke about tied pubs. Do you think there needs to be uh, more action to, to, to make it a fairer marketplace? I don't know how you would. I think, yes, it would be wonderful if you didn't have, but how would you go back? This is hundreds of years. This is what the British market was built on. Fuller's and uh, Shepard Neiman, all those guys, have, that's what they did. You know, and it makes total sense. You know, it's, brewers have but tap room. If they can, they'll open another tap room. You know, and another one and another and after 100 years you end up with 400 or whatever St Ostalone you know that's just the way it is um, and so how do you take that away uh, do you say that you can't own your own do you go back to like, more like the American model where actually you can't own all of the different tiers or, um, is it is it right to own a brewery a distribution company and, and an outlet so how do we go back from where we are and I think in an ideal world yes you would start and say actually if you're a brewer you can't own all the pubs um, but we do have that in our system already, so how yeah. do you go back? Is that almost punishing someone for being successful yeah, exactly. in their business? You know, that's what you strive to, you know, it's a business at the end of the day, we like what we do, we make great beer, whatever, but, you know, it's, it's growth. Um, I don't know. We basically took the view of if you can't beat them, well, join them. <laughs> beat them up. And we, we've stayed independent, we do, but they're in for us, where we're not allowed to own our own distribution companies in most states, in a few where we are, we went, screw it, let's open one. And we did it in Florida, and the first year where that's a third or fourth most populous state in the country, our sales were in the toilet with an old company. We opened our company, and it was just three counties, and we doubled the sales just in the three counties compared to the whole state the previous year. Mm. So we just used... The, the rules in our favor for once, and we've then taken that model. Uh, you know, now, well, let me back up for a second. Uh, Florida, the sales now compared to where they were, were are probably 35, 40% more than they were the last year at the other place. And we now do it in Colorado, we do it in Missouri, we do it in uh, Washington State, Oregon, and it's helping. You know, some markets, you know, maybe they don't want cast beer in that market, so we then will focus on something like a Baltic Baltic Porters or something but you'll find what what works and you know we basically just try to play the same game the best we can with less money yeah. and there's a bunch of brewers in the states who set up the Kaneki model which is is it six or eight breweries I mean way yeah it's not Oscar Blues and uh, yes. the yeah. Fireman Capital the, yeah. the Boston based private equity yeah. firm yeah uh, they have they, about six breweries. So, so are Tier. they still classed as independent though they are technically independent and this all gets starts to get fuzzy yeah. when you've got capital you know coming in they're technically independent. Um, but there's what six or eight breweries. So how can you be independent and owned by the same company? And there's loads of breweries. So it's also like Firestone Walker um, are considered Mulgate independent, Val. but they're listed as, as Duval. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 very it's it's very interesting how we maybe do we con- how do we talk about the consumer to it? Does it matter to them? What's next? I'm going to open the floor up to you guys for questions. Maybe you have some thoughts. Any questions? One thing, uh, really quick. Um, uh, just keep going. Just um, the biggest thing, biggest news, at least in the United States, is the merger of Sam Adams and Dogfish Head. Mm-hmm. That's friggin' enormous. Uh, I don't know what the barrelage will be, but the largest craft, the largest craft brewer in the United States is Yingling, 
which uh, I'll keep my personal comments <laughs> off the I had the, I had the pleasures of that. I hadn't tried that beer before, and I had it when I was out in Tampa, and yeah, it was an experience. Um, <laughs> it, it is the oldest brewery in the United States. It's from Pennsylvania, though ironically they brew most of it in Tampa. But uh, anyway, they're considered the largest craft brewer, but then what is, what's considered, what's craft? Mm. And, I would say they're actually not craft, though I'd probably get in trouble from the Brewers Association. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not a member, so it doesn't matter. Um, but the merger of Sam Adams and Dogfish Head, you've got two bona fide, you know, you know, grandfathers in the industry. Um, and while normally that type of thing would kind of be like, uh, I don't know, I actually think it might be a that might be a good thing. But then, are they independent? Mm. Or you know, I don't know. The other fascinating thing about uh, Sam Adams is that only 51% of what they were producing was beer. Yeah. Uh, and if it went below 50%, uh, it w they would have not been able to be members of the Brewers Association. And the Brewers Association generally makes their rules to buy whatever Boston beer are what doing. Are, but now they've Boston bought Dogfish, and, that, and that percentage will go back into a, a green zone for them. If, uh, if Boston Brewing and Yingling are happy with a rule um, that... that favors smaller breweries. If, they're, if those two are happy with it, that'll go because they have the lobbying money mm. and you, you need it. Yeah. And actually, just on a different thing, they actually are also polar opposite politically. Yingling is a very conservative uh, company where Sam Adams is more liberal. So that kind of plays, they get to play both Yingling, sides yeah. of the political mm. spectrum to mm. their benefit. I have a question here. Did you have a question? Ramble. Ramble. You changed your mind. Any questions? Are there any questions for the panel? Yes. Yeah, I suppose building on the previous question about um, how long it takes for um, the, the beer quality to be affected by the larger company buying it over, is there like a concept of a honeymoon period of maybe two years or so where the brewery gets to do whatever they like and then the, the bean kinders come in and say, well, actually, we need more of this and we need more of that. I'm thinking of, you know, Ballast Point, who got bought over and then everybody left after their two years or whatever or contracted two years, you know, that, that eventually it, it does affect the quality of the beer. Um, I think I'm, I, I've not been bought, but I well, think I'm most just, people... It's most been people two get years now, so I'm just coming out of the honeymoon period at the moment, so... Uh. <laughs> I think the biggest danger is losing the staff, losing the ethos, yeah, all of the rest of it, and you lose what it is that make that brewery special. Um, and it then is, it comes down yeah. to cost, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it is an odd one, especially from the whole staff perspective myself. I was virtually at Hawkshead from the start, worked closely with one family, you know, all through. It was pretty much everyone was in, you know, family sales moves on, bigger company in, you know. We don't see them that often, but they're around. There, there is, you know... With larger companies like that, there's more accountants than you can shake your stick out there. You know, it's it's big. And the only angle that, and they swear down still through at the moment, that they do not want to cut. The way they would look is, you know, can we buy labels collectively more as a group and get them cheaper? Can we, can we do purchase as opposed to how do we cut our prices and hops or we'll stick half of them in, you know, like that. So it's... it's. But I think the, the concern is it's, it's forget whether the money's coming from big beer. Whoever's investing in the company, yeah. 
you know, if it was Nestle, I think most people would have a bit of an issue with that. But it, you'd still be an independent brewery. Um, so what, the word independent, if it generally we talk about it when it's being bought by one of the bigger breweries, it's really about what what is the company you're talking to, whether they get their money and how much control does the other company have over them, which mm. has changed the culture within the organisation that you originally started to enjoy. Yeah, it'll be say private equity would be a different one because they would come and they'd want a sharp growth yeah. turn very quick and profitable to the extent of yeah that's yeah private equity is very interesting to me because uh we, we've there's some breweries uh with a lot of private equity money uh stone and brewdog are probably two of the biggest examples they've taken several hundred million um, and you, you essentially got five to seven years to return that in triplicate, and if you don't, you, you lose that part of the, the company. This is why BrewDog are growing so fast, because when, when they do, they can pay back their loan, essentially. And uh, with a ballast point, the, they, they were grossly overpaid for what the brewery was. Even if you look at the merger of Sam Adams and Dogfish Head, the money is nowhere near the amount that ballast point was bought for, and that's come around, and... The, cap, the capital company was like, uh, no, we can't, or consolidate, was, that's too much, and now they're all of a sudden backtrack. you know, you lose, you start to lose people, and then that's why the beer quality goes down, but uh, then they started cutting heads, and, you know, in my market, two or three of the sales staff were fired, I don't know, a year after, and then uh, six months later, the rest of them were gone. So it's like they want to see that return, and that's it. That's a good example of a company ethos just sort of going out the window after a sale as well yeah. with Ballast Point. Yeah, I mean, the irony with a company like uh, Anheuser-Busch, you know, you, you may or may not like the beer they make, but what you can say about what they make is every time you get their beer, it tastes exactly the same. I mean, most brewers would strive, you know, would kill to be able to have that yeah. type of consistency. You may not like the final product, but they can make yeah. what they make. So... They're not, generally, I shouldn't say they're not, they may not screw with it because they know, you know, that the beer is good. But, you know, when you lose the head brewer or the assistant, um, yeah, that's when the, the game I, starts I personally changing. think there's a bigger danger of companies changing in the short term through private equity investment yeah. because you are driven so hard. So we've talked to loads of private equity companies. And let's say one that I know of that recently got involved with another brewery, they, they took their money over 10 years, so they, this private equity firm borrow money, that's hundreds of millions of pounds, and they have 10 years to then repay it with huge amounts of interest. And depending on where they are during their cycle of that cash, um, you know, they might only have three years left, and they will expect a three or four times investment back in three or four years. And that will encourage the brewer to grow in a way that they wouldn't naturally have done, which may mean that they have to change their product to become more mainstream, which... And, you know, put massive pressures on some of the staff. So I think big beer, you know, at least they're buying these things for strategic investment. It's not really in their interest, certainly in the short term, to just buy it and change it. Um, where private equity companies are simply driven to get cash. You know, they've got three, five, whatever, however many years it is to turn that one investment into a bigger amount of money. And so they have to grow much more aggressively than a strategic investor would necessarily want to. I think that's a good place to leave it. Is there any more questions? Oh, well, <laughs> join us in no. Fine Fest 2029, yeah. where we will still be trying to define craft. I think I just want to wrap up by saying uh, I think we're going to be having this conversation about the value of independence over and over again. It's an important conversation. I'm not sure 
if it's a linear conversation, I feel like we've just done a bit of a circle. Uh, but I hope that was uh, uh, informative for you guys. And if you've got any more questions, please come up and speak to the panel afterwards. Uh, but please thank the panellists for me once again. Thanks for tuning in, folks. If you're able to support the content we produce at Pellicle, please consider making a monthly donation via Patreon. You can sign up by visiting patreon.com forward slash mag. Remember to subscribe, and if you can, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice, as this will help more people find the show. Until next time, I've been your host, Matthew Curtis, and you've been listening to The Pellicle Podcast. Podcast.